Welcome to the Paul Gunn Podcast. Paul is an American pastor and chaplain who seeks to teach the Bible in an easy to understand and inspirational way to people of all ages. He believes the truths found in the scriptures have the power to change lives. Paul's church has a diverse mix of nationalities and ethnicities where the scriptures are taught in seven languages. When he's not serving his church, he's serving the military as a chaplain. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoy this edition of the Paul Gunn Podcast. The title of my message today is Distractions, Danger, Deception, Oh My. I'll be preaching from Nehemiah chapter 6. Today's sermon has four points and here they are. First, distraction is a problem. Second, lies are dangerous. Third, deception is of the devil. And fourth, God is our help. Now, let's recap where we are in the story of Nehemiah. The longer this series goes, the longer the summary becomes, so I have to summarize the summary. It takes quite a while to take a, take a lot of scripture and summarize it into just a few sentences, but here goes. Those of you who've been keeping up don't really need this, but some of you may be hearing this for the first time, or some of you may have slept through the last few sermons and you need the, the recap. The book of Nehemiah is an autobiography of a Jewish man who was born outside of Jerusalem and felt compelled by God to move to Jerusalem and help rebuild the walls of the city. The Jewish people had lived in exile but had returned to Jerusalem some 100 years prior, but the walls had not been rebuilt the people had become used to all the rubble around them. Walls around a city in that day and age was very important. It was like it was a fortress. It kept the people safe from enemies. It sent a signal uh, to the people in the region that they were not to be messed with. They were not to be played with. That they were strong. If an enemy took over a city, the first thing they did was to tear down the walls to remove the main defense of the people. The walls of Jerusalem also had spiritual significance and so some 100 years after the Jewish people had returned to Jerusalem the walls had still not been rebuilt. This man Nehemiah he lived away from Jerusalem and he worked for a non-Jewish king who gave him permission to go to Jerusalem and lead the effort in rebuilding the walls. And the king sent supplies. He sent a security detail to ensure Nehemiah's safe passage to Jerusalem. Nehemiah inspected the fallen walls and, and he inspired the people to rebuild these walls, although he was just meeting these people for the first time. Well, there was a man named Sanballat and some other area leaders who ridiculed and plotted against Nehemiah and all the people. But Nehemiah and the people made a plan for their defense and they continued the work. And as this labor continued, the people spoke up because they were hungry. They were out of money and Nehemiah realized, he uncovered that there were some unlawful business practices going on among the Jewish people to the other Jewish people and he corrected it. So this brings us up to where we are today. First, I want you to see in today's passage of scripture, 
that distraction is a problem. Nehemiah chapter 6, starting with verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. I love the word Ono because that's exactly what Nehemiah said. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down, uh, uh, go down to you? Four times they sent this message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Well, the enemies were persistent. They were creative and with intimidations and threats of attack, even though they did those things, they did not stop the progress on the wall. So they decided to try a new tactic. They called for a meeting in an area midway between Samaria and Jerusalem. Their idea was a neutral area to meet with Nehemiah. And the implication here is that they, they were going to propose a truce or some type of compromise However, Nehemiah saw through their schemes. The walls had been rebuilt except for the gates. And so it appears as if these men wanted Nehemiah to stop right there so that the city would still be vulnerable. They would have their walls but not their gates. We don't know for sure, but that's what we assume from, from, uh, from the events that had transpired up to this point. Nehemiah knew that their true intentions were not honorable they were not interested in the work on the wall. They were not concerned about the welfare of God's people. This was just another effort to distract Nehemiah from what God had called him to do. Now we understand the word distract. When we are distracted, we're preventing from giving our full attention to something. Interestingly enough in the Bible, the word distract, the English word distract is only used one time. And it appears in Luke chapter 10, verse 40. Two sisters were privileged to have Jesus visit their home. And you know the story. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, worshiping and listening to his teachings. Martha busied herself with dinner preparations. And the Bible tells us, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, meaning Jesus, and, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. The Greek word translated distract is perispao. And when you look at the spelling, when you see this Greek word transliterated into English characters, it's not hard to see uh, the similarity between that word and and our word perspiration. <laughs> the original word actually means to draw away from. And just as fluid is drawn out of our bodies when we sweat, we are drawn away from something when we are distracted. Martha was drawn away 
from Jesus. And in fact, in that story in Luke, Jesus responds to Martha's complaint. Martha, Martha, the Lord said, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. You know, something that looks like a good thing, like, like responding to a meeting with one's enemies as here in Nehemiah or in the story of Mary and Martha cooking dinner for the Lord and his followers or continuing to respond to someone who has nothing but complaints, they can, they can actually be distractions. You know, what about you? What, what are you doing in life? What do you feel that the Lord is leading you to do? If you're, if you're living in God's will, pursuing God's will, what are the distractions that are pulling you away from, from pursuing those things the Lord wants you to do? Each of us have different talents and, and, and therefore we have different jobs. But there, there are a few callings that God has issued to every believer. In the book of Nehemiah, everyone worked on the walls except for a handful of few, a few nobles from one particular group who didn't want to lift a finger. But other than that, everyone worked on the walls. They were all called to work on the walls, even if they hadn't been builders before. And there are some things that God has issued to every modern-day believer. Every Christian is called to be a part of a body of believers. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us this. Every Christian is called to pray. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us that. Every Christian is called to praise and worship God. Psalm 150. Every Christian is called to tell the world about Jesus. Matthew chapter 28. And every Christian is called to live for Christ. Romans chapter 12. These are the basic callings of a Christian, of believers in Jesus Christ. Yet how often are we distracted from these best things? How easily are we distracted from attending corporate worship, from praying, from participating in Bible study or during the worship service? And likewise, we need to make sure that we are not distractions to others. You know, occasionally I might have to tell somebody something during the song service, but not very often. So be careful not to be a distraction to other people when they're singing. You know, don't, don't walk around, you know, sharing the latest news when people are singing. And, and when people are, are listening to the preaching, uh, don't interrupt people next to you unless it's something that's important, something that's necessary. In this list of things that we get distracted from, how many of these things, how many of these distractions keep us from pursuing a godlier lifestyle? Proverbs chapter 4, verses 25 through 27 says, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths up for, uh, for your feet. And be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Nehemiah recognized the importance of staying focused. But for most of us, 
distraction is a problem. Second, I'd like for you to see that lies are dangerous. Lies are dangerous. Would you agree with that? Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. Then the fifth time Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshep says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. Nehemiah says, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. And Nehemiah says, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. (laughs) You or I would most likely not send any letter, let alone an official document, in an unsealed envelope. Today, we lick the sticky part of the envelope or we... We peel the part that's already got the sticky on it. And, and in the same way, in, in this day and time, letters between government officials would, would have been rolled up and sealed with wax. And no one would have dared break that seal. Because then the message would have been invalid or the message would have been passed on to people who were not supposed to get it. So the fact that Sanballat sent this document in this fashion is an indication of his disrespect and his motive. You see, if an unsealed letter went from from person A to person B, it could be read by anybody. Sanballat wanted this letter to be read. He wanted it to be seen. He wanted other people to talk about these accusations. He was a careful plotter. Make no mistake, his intent was very evil. If even a hint of sedition went to King Artaxerxes, who is the king over the whole region, who Nehemiah had worked for and who had provided supplies to help rebuild the wall and provided the security detail for Nehemiah to get to Jerusalem, even if the king heard a hint of sedition, Coming from Nehemiah, he would have not only, Nehemiah would have not only lost his position, he would have probably lost his life. Probably not even there. He would have lost his life. The king in this day would have taken, done whatever it took to guard his position. And while Nehemiah chose to ignore many of the plots and schemes of his enemies, this one called for a swift Reply. This is one of those emails that would have gotten the return button hit so fast. Well, he denied the accusation. But he did not try to defend himself, interestingly enough. He did not waste the ink. 
Nehemiah knew that Sanballat and the other enemies were not interested in the truth. Nehemiah's enemies knew that the, the danger of their false words, they knew that their lies would be weapons, were weapons, and, 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 their, and their arsenal against Nehemiah. And he could not control what Sanballat said, but he had a personal relationship with the Father of Truth, God himself. And so immediately following Nehemiah's reply, he prayed for strength. You know, we are living in a world of lies. In fact, lies are so prevalent in our society that it's hard to know who's telling the truth. <laughs> I think you agree with me on that. Uh, according to one article, several studies state that people lie almost twice a day. Another report that found, now listen to this, another report found that 50% of people cannot go more than 10 minutes in a conversation without lying. <laughs> I see some people looking at each other out here. The Bible calls Satan the father of lies in John chapter 8. Yet if those statistics are true, it makes you wonder if Christians are lying as often as non-believers. Proverbs 12 verse 22 says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. How truthful are you when you are conveying a message from one person to the next? Do you accurately convey that message or do you add some vocal inflection that changes the original intention of the message? Do you change words around? Do you triangulate things to turn yourself into some type of hero between two people when really there was just a message or, or a simple story or a simple request to be passed on? How truthful are you? Do you take your word seriously? Matthew chapter 12 verse 36 says, But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. So we see that distraction is a problem, that lies are dangerous, and next, deception is of the devil. Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mahetabal, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Well, you, up on first glance, you may wonder, well, what's going on with this passage? Uh, Shemaiah does not seem to be the enemy of Nehemiah. He seems to care. He visited him to tell him that people were coming to kill him. In fact, it, it, it seems to us that, that, that this guy is sincerely concerned 
about Nehemiah's physical welfare. He's making a good proposition. He's, he's telling Nehemiah how he can stay safe. And Shemaiah was indeed a prominent Jew. However, he and other Jewish leaders, including prophets and priests, had become entangled with the enemies. For example, we know that uh, Sambalat's daughter married the chief priest's grandson. Tobiah and his son were both married to Jewish women. And because of the personal family connections and the professional jealousies, Nehemiah was facing problems within, within the wall as well as outside of the wall. But Shemaiah was nothing more than a wolf in sheep's clothing. And thankfully, Nehemiah saw through his deception. If, uh, if Nehemiah had chosen to follow Sanballat's suggestion, his actions would have weakened his reputation and the people's resolve. What people in the face of danger want to stand firm or support a leader who runs and hides? And in addition, Nehemiah recognized Shemaiah's lies because he knew God's word. Nehemiah was a layman. He was not a priest. He was not a prophet. Therefore, according to Numbers 18, chapter 7, he could not go into the inner part of the temple. And if he'd gone into that inner part of the temple to protect himself, he would have been committing a sin. It sounded like a good idea, but it was not. In a world of deceit, how do we know who to trust? Well, first of all, we must know Scripture and consider carefully what God has to say about the matter. You've heard me share this before, but three years ago I asked Terry to come up with Scriptures for us to memorize as part of our worship service because the best defense against lies and deception is just to know God's Word. We will know something is not right with news that is a lie. So we see that distraction is a problem. Lies are dangerous. Deception is of the devil. And last, God is our help. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 14. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. Verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Despite everything that the enemies did, the wall was completed in record time. And the month of Elul corresponds to our months of somewhere around August and September. If you remember Nehemiah's uh, first news about the wall would have fallen in what we would call November or December of the previous year. He'd spent a few months praying. He'd spent a few months preparing. He traveled. And then he spent a few months building. And then in less than a year the wall was built. And Nehemiah knew exactly where the credit was due. It was only with the Lord's help that such a monumental task could have been accomplished. 
And just as he prayed for God to remember and strengthen him, Nehemiah prayed that God would remember his enemies for all that they had done to try to thwart God's work. Well, we have several bits of application here. Uh, Some of you have already figured it out for yourself. Last week, I, I taught part of this Nehemiah study to a group of friends of mine, and afterwards, a friend saw me and said, I cannot believe how this short Bible study we had parallels with my life so much. Listen to some points of application. There's some good reminders here. Distraction is a problem. As Christians, the devil cannot destroy us, but he will certainly try to distract us from God's work. (laughs) Another point of application, lies are dangerous. But if we maintain a life of character, God will take care of our reputation. Another point of application is that deception is of the devil. Human allegiances should never outweigh our loyalty to Christ. And if we want to know the truth of a matter, we have to know God's word. Another point of application is so simple. God is our help. Psalm chapter 46 tells us that God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. If he has called us to task, he will help us see it too completion, distraction, danger, and deception. Oh my. The devil will do whatever he can to keep the people of God from living what they believe and are telling others about him. Are you allowing him to succeed? And I think about our church as we rebuild the walls of the church. And as we shore up those gaps that Nehemiah, previous chapter, talks about, and as we put up those gates for the fortress of God's church, are we all working together? Are we all unified? Are we all sacrificially involved in rebuilding the church? I've listened to plenty of naysayers. In a way, I feel a little bit like Nehemiah. You know, we've gotten together. We've talked about areas that need to be shored up. We've talked about you know, expensive maintenance things that we need. We can easily parallel, compare just about everything in the book of Nehemiah to what's happened right here and is happening right here in our own congregation. Are we going to be distracted from rebuilding? Are we going to be distracted from reaching people for Christ? Are we going to listen to lies? Are we going to listen to naysayers? Are we going to listen to ridicule, gossip, slander? Are we going to be deceived by Satan? No. We are going to rely on God's help. And we're going to work together. God supernaturally causes natural things to happen. Or natural things to happen in a supernatural way. He just infuses us. That's the word that I was looking with. With this this supernatural desire and drive to make something happen. 
So when they lifted those rocks, however they did it, whatever tool, scaffolding, whatever they did to lift it, they all felt it. All the muscle went into it. And as they examined the gaps, they didn't wake up one morning and then all these gaps were filled. No, they had to labor. They had to work together. They couldn't be distracted by anything. You know, some of you have been distracted by the ways of the world. You've been lied to and you've believed the lies. You've been deceived and you've fallen into others' traps. It's time to to own up to all of it and to seek the truth. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You've been listening to the Paul Gunn Podcast, produced by Marie McKinney-Oates, available on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tina Tran. Have a good day, mate.